We're going to be in Joshua chapter 24 today, a passage of scripture that's uh, special to me because it contains uh, my dad's uh, favorite verses is in here, and I kind of wish this had fallen on last week since last Sunday was his last uh, Sunday here with us before they they escaped to the warmth of Arizona, but uh, he'll have to catch it on the podcast later. And I just want to read the text, and then uh, we'll jump into a couple of things. But we're kicking off this four-week series called Family Matters that hopefully will be a help to you, to to me, as we look at some things in the Word of God about how He uh, desires for us to have families that are honoring to God and what that looks like. Um, You know, our home, our community, the community around us, uh, people that help us in uh, the course of the lives with our children or grandchildren or uh, children that we have the, the privilege of being in their lives through other relationships as aunts and uncles, friends, neighbors, all of those places. Uh, the familial uh, influence and connection can be so much broader than just what we traditionally think of as a nuclear family unit, although that's something that's really Uh, important in the lens of Scripture as well, and like a lot of other things in the world, has uh, fallen victim to the effects of sin in our our world, in the world. So, uh, this week we'll be talking about uh, the importance of a Christian home, uh, what maybe that looks like, and it's probably going to, in some ways, hit different notes than you think already in your head of what that's going to look like. So we'll see when we get there. All right? So here we are. Joshua chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 14. It says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your sight or in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the regions beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, scripture today, Lord, for uh, the way that you've preserved it for us. For this moment in time, and Lord, thank you that that Scripture, so much of it can be timeless and and apply even here in our modern world and our modern lives. Lord, help us to understand some of that this morning, and uh, for uh, your promise to be true that whenever your word goes forth, it will not come back empty. In Jesus' name, amen. So... um, I'm not going to spend a long time on this today, 
I don't have a bunch of statistics for you. I, I went down those trails where I was looking up statistics about families and church attendance and, you know, extra attendance, youth ministries and all those kinds of things. And at the end of the day, uh, some things that we've learned here internally at Christ Community Church and some things I think that we've seen in our lives as, we, as we've done the best that we can to raise up two young men that still uh, acknowledge the Lord in their lives and, and uh, are uh, speaking about him in their conversations and, and seeing that influence of the, the Christian life that they've embraced as they've grown. Um, the danger in these sorts of series is always that it sets people up to feel like um, if things haven't gone perfectly that they've failed. And I'm going to address that before this message is over today because that's a terrible, terrible, vicious lie. And I could recount for you scores of stories about folks, uh, solid believers, committed to their faith as parents who uh, brought up their children in the way that they should go. And then there's a season that arrives where it just seems like it all comes apart and the kids don't follow and the kids don't sometimes even express that they don't believe as they've grown and things like that. And so my first caution as we go through this series is resist the urge to look at anyone else's circumstances and judge yours according to theirs. Because their success may not be as much success as you think it is. Or conversely, if you got kind of a snooty nose, their failure may not be as great as you think it is. And ultimately, be wary of being proud of your own success or being too hard on yourself for what you see as your own failures. Because any of us who are parents or who have had a chance to be in a parental uh, role with children as they grow become quickly aware of a primary primary fundamental truth that makes all of us question why we became parents in the first place. And it is this truth that try as you will, try as you might, those little boogers that you've birthed and raised have minds of their own and will make their own decisions in their own way despite your best efforts. And sometimes, I mean, you know, I've I can't remember who it was, might have been uh, James Dobson said, when you, when you start to, to become a parent, you, you begin to realize one, why some animals eat their, their own. Because <laughs> sometimes you just want to get them and shake them. And, uh, you know, this parenting business, this family business is not for the faint of heart because, guys, uh, the, the enemy wants to destroy everything good that God intends to build and everything good that's in your life. And sometimes he'll uh, do it through circumstances. Sometimes he'll do it through your own stupid decisions. Um, and, it, and it's complex. And the overriding theme that I would want you to hear from these next four weeks is do your best. Listen, don't, don't give up your responsibility to your children because it's hard. But also, the biggest theme of the Bible from beginning to end, from, from index, you know, from contents to maps, right? Everything in between. 
is grace. We're not going to get it all right, not just in this arena, but in every arena. We're going to mess stuff up. We're going to make inadvertent mistakes. We're going to make intentional, sinful decisions and choices. It's not to minimize those things. Uh, We should see those as evidences of our need for that grace. But by the same token, to continue to beat ourselves up for things that we can't necessarily control or to continue to beat ourselves over things that God has offered us true forgiveness for because we have truly repented actually is an affront to the grace of God because what we're saying in those moments is we're saying that that grace isn't real and I need to continue to punish myself for mistakes I've made in whatever arena of your life it is, including as a parent or as a parental figure in the lives of others. So I just want to lay that foundation and then give you some, some ideas here. And, uh, you know, you might be uh, kind of like we are on the other end of parenting. I know, I know, I'm looking at some of you and I know you're, you're giving me the eyes right now because here's another thing that you realize is it doesn't really end. Um, you may not have the direct intervention and influence that you've had before, but it doesn't change the, sometimes just that abject feeling of fear that you have about the direction of your kids and where they're going even as adults. Um, and so uh, you may be thinking, well, I did my job, you know, I'm done. I don't know if that's true. Uh, I think this is supposed to last a lot longer uh, if, uh, if you have the opportunity. And look, sometimes I know some of you have kids that have wandered and they're not giving you the opportunity. Hang in there. We'll talk about that in a minute. All right, so the, the first thing is I want us to draw sort of a, a, a connection. A, uh, maybe it's a distinction. I'm not sure if it's a distinction or a connection between like general education and Christian education because what gets wrapped up in this uh, conversation a lot, and I think Jason may touch on this a little bit uh, next week when he talks about uh, the village, uh, uh, you know, having a village that helps raise our children up in the faith. Um, but there are a lot of things that are, that are sort of available in the toolbox of, let's just say, education, not talking about our, our faith education, but just education, public school, private school, home school, charter school, uh, Karen's a public school teacher. She does a fantastic job. I'm so glad that we have people like her in the public school system where so many families don't have another choice uh, other than the public school system to have people like her with solid, grounded faith as well as... Did I just die? Nope, something went weird. But uh, people have a solid, grounded faith as well as our gifted and talented educators in that environment. Uh, We believe in that um, as well Uh, I taught for a handful of years at a local uh, Christian school, had a great time doing that, Uh, really was a fun time, and so there's that kind of education that we've supported and engaged in. Uh, We have homeschooled for a season uh, with one of our sons because that was what was going to be best for him in that season of his life, and it was one of the greatest uh, decisions that we made as parents was to do that. And so we recognize all of those different avenues that are available to us to educate our children as they're growing in, you know, those, those sort of basic things of, of education, of math and English and history and, and those sorts of things. 
But most of you, I hope, would agree with me that if you're leaving your child's education strictly up to someone else, you're doing it wrong. No matter what avenue you've chosen, if you're homeschooling or you're private schooling or charter schooling or uh, private schooling, whatever it is, public school, all that stuff, if you just sort of depend on that mechanism to do all of the educating for you, you've missed the boat because we should be engaged as parents in all of our child's education from a parental standpoint as well. Some of that's to impart knowledge that they maybe don't get somewhere else. Some of that's to take the knowledge that they're getting in a classroom environment and helping to solidify it so that they're actually gaining knowledge and putting that information to practice in their minds. Uh, sometimes it's, it's refuting, right? It's, it's going back against some things that the world is teaching them from a, from a non-Christian worldview and to address that with a biblical worldview. And that leads me to the second part of that, and that's what we might call faith education or Christian education. Um, some of that can be accomplished. I know uh, the private school that I taught at was a Christian school, so it was teaching both academics as well as things that were involved in the faith development of these students. Um, the Faith Homeschool Co-op that Laura Gifteus uh, leads meets here uh, each Friday, and there's a collection of people there through their homeschool activities are then also uh, really focusing on Christian education and faith education for their children and the friends of their children. And I would say the same thing. Our, most of our little ones just went off to Kids World, right? They're getting some faith education in there. However, if you're leaving the faith education of your children strictly to the time they spend at church or in Sunday school or in another environment where someone else is teaching them, you're doing it wrong. If you have a vibrant faith, there are some things you should be teaching your children about faith. And I'm going to give you some ideas here in just a minute of how to do that. And it's probably, again, going to look and sound different than what you're crafting in your mind right now. And that's not to say that what you're crafting in your mind, especially if it's the way that you practice, isn't, isn't good, but maybe I'm going to give you some ideas that are a little bit different that I think will really support what you've done. And it's kind of this idea. It's become kind of, I don't know, popular in modern culture, even among those who uh, claim themselves to the faith, that this sort of setting, a, a church setting, uh, Sunday school type setting, kids world, children's uh, ministry type setting, that those are becoming less and less prominent and important in the lives of believers. And I would just give a couple of cautions about that. One is when it comes to church, like this sort of environment, it's not that Christ Community Church is ordained as the church of God, but we are part of the church of God. We are part of the bride of Christ. He's called us to do this. And Karen and I were just talking about some friends who uh, used to be really committed uh, to being together with other believers, and now they're just not. They just have completely kind of left that out of their lives and are somehow practicing their faith alone, individually. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, you can't support that with a biblical worldview. For an introvert kind of guy like me, it would be great <laughs> if you could. I, I was just talking with uh, somebody this morning about this 
this thing that popped across my social media this week that I so identified with. I'm what we call an extroverted introvert. I can do this kind of stuff here. I'm happy. I'm glad to see you. When I leave here, I really don't want to see anyone else. I just want to go home and be quiet. And that little thing on social media was, uh, the happiest time in an extroverted, introverted life is canceled plans. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Anyone? Anyone? Amen. Yeah. It's like, oh, it just feels good to know I don't have to do that. Right? But I'm aware that in this Christian walk, Scripture clearly teaches that my faith journey is not a solo activity. Some of it is, but not all of it. We're called at times, Jesus says, to go individually into our prayer closet and pray to him. No one else is supposed to be invited into that space. We're also commanded to not give up the assembling of ourselves with one another. And so having a holistic view of this life in Christ is something that's really important. And I, I say that because the, the gradual progression towards less and less engagement with a body of believers that we see in our culture today takes away one of the ways in which parents can have tools available to them to help grow their children in the faith. And it's kind of like this. Um, and it, I've, I've seen it so many times, it gets really frustrating where I watch folks make that decision where other things in life become much more important. And, I, and I'm not saying that those other activities that we have that we do with our kids aren't important because there's a, there's a balance that happens here. And we did the same thing with our guys. We made choices about things that we did outside of church to build uh, them and relationships and skills and things like that. But we never abandoned this getting together and being together in a way that is unique from anything else that happens in culture. But as I've seen some families do that, it's, it's inevitable that at some point down the road, there's a conversation that's filled with, with deep regret. That I wish I hadn't made that choice back then to, to be so distant and to be so disconnected and to allow these elements of this faith journey that's described in the Bible as the church to become something that wasn't important to my family. And it reminds me of uh, those of us who have lived here long enough know that, I mean, we see it every summer for sure, right? We see the news reports of people who go out even for a day hike. Something goes wrong. An ankle gets turned. Um, the river's higher than they thought it was going to be. And suddenly they're stranded. They have to call for help. Or they lose their life. Because when they were getting ready to take their journey, they failed to prepare properly for the journey. And then when the circumstances unfolded, things got scary really fast. And I remember, I think I've maybe told some of this story before, uh, Stephen and Christopher and I went rabbit hunting up by Eureka a handful of years ago. And it was towards the beginning of spring, but there was still a lot of snow up there. 
We'd taken snowshoes with us, had our little 22 rifles, had some fun out there shooting some target stuff before we went up and started chasing the rabbits around. And uh, still one of my proudest moments, by the way. I'll, I'll share it with you. We, we had Stephen shaking his head. He, he's like, man. We all had our little, little 22s, and he had a one that his granddad had just given him, a really cool little, uh, little unit. And we had a McDonald's cup sitting out with the straw sticking out of it, right? And so we're just, we're just shooting at stuff and uh, hitting the cup. And I said, Stephen, let me try your rifle there, son. I want to see how it goes. And I gave it a couple of shots, and I said, I'm going to shoot that straw. And they both looked at me like I was crazy. And so I, I sighted down, and I pulled the trigger and shot. The cup didn't move. And they laughed. They said, ah, you missed it. And we walked out there. I had split that straw right through the middle. <laughs> so I hit it so right that the two pieces of plastic around the hole were still intact. <laughs> I mean, I could not have hit it anymore on center. Of course, after that, I'm like, I'm not shooting anything else because I'm going to let the mystique live for a little while. Uh, a little bit of skill with a whole lot of luck mixed in there. But we got done messing around, and we decided to tromp up the hill. And we got up the hill, and there were rabbits out of the corner of our eyes everywhere. But um, <laughs> poor Stephen and I, because we're both big guys, even with the snowshoes fighting the snow as it was starting to rot underneath of the surface was difficult. We kept breaking through. Christopher, at the time, of course, light as a feather, Mr. Skin and Bones, He's just walking all over the place, like, what's wrong with you guys? Why are you so slow? And we're all, like, post-holing in snowshoes down into the snow. And so we fought it for a while. Stephen got a rabbit, and, and that was fun. But as the sun came out and it got warmer, it got more dangerous. And it got to where I was falling down into the snow up to my, my hip every step I took. And so I said uh, to the boys, I said, I've got to head downhill because I've got to find a way to get off this mountain because right now I can't do anything. And it got, it got really dicey. I'd, I realized at one point that I'd fallen through and my rifle butt had gone all the way down into the snow. And the barrel is just sticking out like this. I'm like, man, I've got to pull that thing out. But, you know, the trigger's down there and there's... Snow and twigs and branches underneath of here. So I'm pulling it out, telling them to stay away, hoping it's not going to fire. And I was smart enough then to unload it while we're trying to figure out how to get down off this mountain. And then as we're going down, my leg goes down, my right leg goes down into the snow again. And then I can't move. I'm trying to pull my leg back out and I can't get it out. My snowshoe had gone underneath a root under there and it was trapped and I got one leg up on the top of the snow and the other one down and the boys come over and they start trying to pull me out can't get out I don't know how long we struggled there trying to get me out of the snow what happened is I just kept going deeper and then I started to think okay what are we going to do here uh, we don't have any shovels cell service doesn't work I'm not prepared for this scenario. Eventually, I just, 
I handed off my rifle and everything else, and I said, you just got to let me work this out. And I was finally able, I reached down, and I got a hold of my leg somehow hard enough, and I yanked up that I snapped that, that aluminum snowshoe in half. <laughs> I was able to get my leg out. But I got worried for a while that we were really going to be in trouble because it was getting later in the day and things were going to get ugly as time went on. And so we got out of there. But it was a reminder to me, and I think about it every time we go out hiking somewhere now, I think about, okay, are we taking the right things that if something goes south, we at least have a chance of being able to deal with it. And there's only so much you can do, but here's the thing. The foolish attitude would be to not think about that at all. Just go and hope it turns out for the best. And guess what? 90% of the time it does. And I think sometimes we risk approaching the development of our children in their faith in the same way. That we're not really being preparing them for the journey. We're not giving them the insight to think on their own about as they go down the path, what should they be taking with them. And we see a little bit of that in this passage of Scripture. I'm looking for my glasses. Did you see that? That's a sign you're getting old. My glasses are in front of my face and I'm reaching for them right here. There we go. Okay. So let's look back at Joshua chapter 24 real quick and then I'm going to give you some, some, some thoughts that might be helpful for you. He says in verse 14, Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And we understand that word fear there. Um, and a lot of times we minimize that, and I'm guilty of the same thing. Well, we're not talking about, we're talking about awe, you know, that God is awesome, that you understand his greatness. But listen, God can be so mighty that we should probably appropriately be instilled with some fear of, of just how powerful he is, but that that power is constrained by his grace. My God is so big, my God is so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Uh, all right. And so he says here, fear the Lord. Meaning that he has expectations for us that we should strive to fulfill. And I'm talking about us individually. See, the place where parenting starts is with you as an individual. It's not a project that's out there. It starts here and flows out from you. And serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. And we're going to come back to that serve him idea here in just a minute. So put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And I tried to think about how can I apply that to this, to this moment, to our lives here. The, the idea of the gods that your fathers served. Well, I don't know. My father was a fantastic example of a Christian believer. And um, was he a perfect parent? Absolutely not. Um, he would say the same. And so I think, 
depending on, on how you came to your faith and when you came to your faith, maybe it's an instruction for us today about uh, making sure that we, as we're going to be Christian parents, that we're fully invested in the life of faith. That we truly are, as the Christian is called to, letting go of the old things and moving into the new creation that God has for us. And that's difficult for us in every season of life and in every part of life. Not just in parenting, but in every season of life. And then he says, and if it's evil in your, uh, in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. And I think this is important because he really here, as Joshua is speaking to the people, and they've had some problems, he's saying there's no middle ground here. And I think this is the place where we have the potential as parents to get into the greatest danger zone in communicating faith to our kids is just being kind of mediocre. And it's not to say that if, that if you're, you're a superstar faith-communicating parent that it's all going to work out. All I'm saying is, why wouldn't you give it everything you've got? Because if you don't give it everything you've got, it's kind of like that, you know, if you, if you don't shoot at a target, guess what? You're never going to hit it. If you don't try to prepare when something happens, you won't be prepared. You, may, you, you won't be perfect. You won't hit every note. You won't be the, the absolute perfect parent communicating faith to their children. But if you don't try to be, you will get, I will get mediocre at best results. And so I think that's one of the reasons why he doesn't really leave any middle ground here. It's like, look, be all in. If you're going to do this thing, be all in. Because anything else guarantees less than desirable results. Even though being as good as you can be doesn't guarantee perfect results. And that's the risk of parenthood. So he says, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the rivers or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And this was my dad's favorite verse. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's really the, the, the linchpin of this conversation here. His parents for all the time that you have the ability to do so, until you're, you're you know, Carrie, bless you, um, until you're then at a place where they make their own decisions and you can't make them for them to some degree, it is your responsibility to say to your house, we're gonna serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Dads, it's really powerful if it comes from you. I'm not trying to minimize my wife and her role in the faith 
education of our children because that would be foolish. I'm a, when in the beginning, when God said that he was going to make for Adam a helper, it's a terrible translation, by the way, the word helper. The word is ezer, E-Z-E-R in the Hebrew. It means critical ally. But there's a measure of an order that God's given in Scripture. And especially as we continue to wrestle through patriarchal societies, a male influence can make a big difference. If it's a positive male influence, it can make a positive difference. And if it's a negative male influence, it can make a terrible influence in the faith journey of your children. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then it's our responsibility as parents to be in the word and growing in our faith to know what that looks like. What does it mean to serve the Lord? It's not just imparting uh, biblical knowledge. Um, It's not a list of rules of do's and don'ts. It's rooted in that grace that we've experienced in communicating to our children as they grow the measure of God's grace and what our appropriate response to God's grace is, which is, as the Bible says, because he first loved us, we love him. And then we live our lives as people who love God. If you want to know what that looks like, look around and see healthy human relationships where people love each other and you get a small idea of what it looks like to love God. Some practical things that we can do, all right? And then the people respond and they say, look, uh, we recognize who God is. We see what he's done, all the things that he's brought us through, the signs and wonders that he's done. He's protected us and trust us. We're going to serve the Lord because we see who he is. I hope that would be your response today as well, that you recognize who God is and that you wish to serve him. But what are some practical things that we as parents can do in trying to instill what we hope will be values that our children will embrace when it comes to faith. There's a a great uh, set of research out there called Sticky Faith. We ran into it several years ago, um, and I think it's right. It drives some of the way that we do a lot of the ministry here. And unfortunately for some people, it results in, in... like youth ministry that doesn't look as zippy as people think it should look. Um, Children's ministry even that doesn't look as, as, as cool and flashy as folks think it should look. And the reason we don't, we're, we're not wired that way is because our own experience over the last 20 to 25 years has shown us that flashy doesn't build actually good faith. It builds an, an entertaining time, an entertaining time. Kids have fun but it doesn't instill the values that cause them to stick to their faith. And so uh, uh, she wasn't able to join us today, but as we have over the last several years, we've had adults and young people in our ministry teams, on our worship teams, serving in all kinds of different places, and it's part of this. I'm going to hit that right here. So here we are, drawing it down to a close. What do sticky faith parents do? The very first thing they do is they discuss their own journey of faith. They share organically, meaning 
just in regular conversation. It's not necessarily, it's good if you have a specified Bible study time in your family, great, do that. If you're not also then having those conversations that just pop up in the course of daily life and things happen, circumstances arise, issues arise, um, failures come to be, heartbreak happens, successes happen, look for every moment that you can organically inject into those stories about your faith and what God has done in your life. Um, Yeah, it's organic. And it becomes something that then our children can identify as this is a normal part of all of my life, not just something that's segmented out when I go to youth group or when I go to children's ministry or when I go to church. My faith is in a box over there and the rest of my life is over here. That's the big mistake that we tend to make in American Christian culture is we separate these things when it should be the other way around. It should be completely intertwined. Um, Sticky faith parents give their kids the space to wrestle with tough faith questions and help them find resources and find answers. Doubt is not toxic. Doubt becomes toxic when it is unexpressed. So if your kids have questions about faith, about the world, about why things work the way they do, one of the things that we sometimes have a tendency to do is just kind of shut down that conversation. And then it just, the doubt doesn't go away, by the way. If you just don't talk about it, are you, well, this is a good thing for all of your life when it comes to, to trauma and feelings and all these sorts of things. If you don't talk about it, it doesn't just go away. It's still there. And so allow your kids, allow those that you have parental influence over to express their their concerns, their questions, their doubts, their wonderment. Find ways to help them travel through those answers. And sometimes I've had conversations with my guys where, you know, we're both going, you know, I don't know. (laughs) They ask a question and I'm like, you know what? I wrestle with that same thing. That's okay. Be honest about your faith journey. Sticky parent faith, uh, sticky faith parents connect their children to caring adults. This is what we try to do in ministry here. Kids need to develop a strong personal identity for faith to stick, and community helps accomplish this. When kids know that there are other adults besides their parents who are on their team and they can trust, they have a support system that will be there when they inevitably mess something up. I would say, of course, as you're engaging adults in the lives of your children, check them out, right? Don't be careless with the adults that you allow to speak into your children's lives. But find some good ones and engage them. Sticky parents, sticky parents, sticky faith parents involve their kids in service. Kids must see that our faith inspires action. There is a ton of research about this one component that your kids both seeing you serve and serving with you and serving with other adults, whether it's in the church or in the community, but in ways that are connected to our ideas of faith that 
This one thing has the greatest influence in creating lasting faith for our children. That's powerful. Sometimes you can do that through the local church. Um, Eight weeks of grace works, anybody? It's a great opportunity to serve every summer. So sometimes through the church, but other times, you just need to do it in your family. Make opportunities to go and do things to serve people. And then you as parents serve so that they see that. And then finally, sticky faith parents, prepare teens for a future that includes faith. So when you're having those practical discussions about money and time and um, college and jobs and whatever else, you include faith in that conversation. Because hopefully you've seen the value of that and the importance of that in your own life. And you can communicate that to them about how that might look in their life as they go forward. And then finally, like any priority, our children's long-term spiritual growth stands a better chance of success if we think in advance about what is important But while families that adopt certain practices tend to raise kids who have a lasting faith, there is no magic formula. Every child has a free will. And that leads me to my final thought for you, which is that having done all that you can, and please do all that you can, to inject a a culture of faith into the life of your family for your children. Having done all that you can, it may be that you find yourself in a season where you have to cling to the promise of the Bible. It's the first command that God gives in the Bible with a promise. You've probably heard it before but it gives refuge to many, many people, and it's this. Train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. It's a great promise with a lot of uncomfortableness in it because it leaves open a large space between when you're raising them and when they're old by which it may not look like anything that you wanted it to look like, even though you did your best. And I grieve with you for that. And I can only say, claim the promise of God and trust him to be faithful. Would you stand for closing prayer? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. And may he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.